evening, gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast, where each and every week we break down something to do with the golden era of professional wrestling, the 1980s. My name is Jay, and sitting alongside me is a man who bleeds 80s wrestling. He's the force behind 80s Wrestling Con, the hottest virtual signings on Facebook. The owner, the newest wrestling collector superstar, and he's the man that is bringing virtual mania to the masses. Ladies and gentlemen, my tag team partner, Mr. Tommy Fierro. <laughs> you have to stop with these wall introductions, man. Just Tommy Fierro is good enough, man. How are you today, Jack? I'm doing fantastic, Tommy. Listen, when you have a resume in 80s wrestling as long as, you, as, long as yours is, it's just fun to say out loud. And so I got to let the people know what you're up to. Now, before we get into the topic of today's conversation, right off the bat, I have to say on behalf of Tommy and myself, we were blown away by the amount of listeners and the amazing feedback we got from episode one. So we are excited to be here for episode two. Tommy, how do you feel about how last show went and the feedback you received? Oh man, it was awesome. I, I got so many, so much great feedback from people on Facebook or people through email or just that messaged me about it. Uh, I, I listened to the episode back, which I usually uh, didn't do back in the day, and I and I and I listened to it. And I thought it was really good, and I listened to it again. I even thought it was better. So I I, I thought that we gelled really well together. I knew that we would. Uh, the topic was just great. I mean, who? What better topic to start off with than Hulk Hogan? and his feuds in the 1980s. And for this episode, episode two, what I did was I put a poll up on our Twitter page. And if you're not following us on Twitter, it's 80s wrestling underscore. And I did four topics to choose from. And it was 80s tag team wrestling, 80s managers, uh, best 80s finishing moves. And what was the other one, Jay? What was the other one? Let's see. We had finishing moves. We had managers. We had tag teams. And there was one other one. Let me go back in my notes. It obviously I, didn't win. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a big deal. It didn't win. But anyway, 80s tag team wrestling won. And uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting discussion today. Obviously, 80s wrestling tag team uh, wrestling was huge in the 80s. And before we get into it, one of the gentleman that was a big part of 80s tag team wrestling will be our virtual guest this monday night and that's mr mike rotundo and uh, obviously he was tag team partners with barry windham he was tag team partners with ted dibiase in the early 90s and he was also part of the varsity club in the nwa so he has a ton of experience in tag team wrestling and he will be our guests this Monday night for our next virtual signing series. You can actually head over now to 80swrestling.com. You can pick out a picture that you'd like of Mike Rotundo and then tune in live this Monday night and he will sign it for you live and also give you a shout out. All the information for that is available on our website and it's 80swrestlingcon.com. Tommy, do you feel like your taxes are in order? Gosh, I hope so. Man, you're coming face-to-face with IRS in just a handful of days. 
What a what a great guest. And like you said, what an impact he had on the tag team scene uh, in the 80s, in the 90s, throughout his career. He had some amazing partners. And that's the topic of today's conversation. We're talking about tag team wrestling in the 80s. Um, and as Tommy was listing some of the other conversations we were thinking about having, the one that we couldn't remember was Intercontinental Champions. How could we forget? 80s. How could we forget that? How could we forget the Working Man's title? Listen, no matter what the topic is, this show is by wrestling fans for wrestling fans. There's a lot of people out there that are passionate about pro wrestling, and they hold a special place in their heart for '80s wrestling, and that's why we're here to talk about those things. Now, today, the topic is tag team wrestling in the '80s. And just like we did last week, just like we do every week, just like they did back in the day, we're going to call it in the ring. How do, you, how do you say it, Tommy, when you give me that phone call? Let's call it in the ring, brother. That's right. So we have not shared notes. We have not shared ideas. We're going into this conversation as two fans of 80s wrestling, and we're glad you're along for the ride. Now, to kick off this conversation, I want to go to a quote that I came across about a week ago, while on the internet looking at wrestling stuff, it's something that some of you may have heard. Tommy, you may be, may be familiar with it, uh, but there's a wrestler who's a, who's a big-time WWE guy, uh, Hall of Famer, done some amazing things, started his career in the tag team business, none other than Brett the Hitman Hart. He's got his own show that he does uh, through his website. Uh, his show is called Confessions of the Hitman, and on a recent episode, number 33, they got on the conversation of tag team wrestling. And here is what Bret Hart said. He said, I think it's my understanding that Vince McMahon got sick of tag team wrestling and is no longer a fan of it. He went on to say, that's sad to kind of single-handedly kill a part of the wrestling business that was so important. So Bret Hart's current take is that business as it is now doesn't really focus on tag team wrestling, that maybe it's because Vince McMahon himself is not a fan of tag team wrestling and that Hart thinks that side of the business is being killed off. So to kick off today's show, Tommy, I'm going to hit you with a fastball question. Do you think Vince McMahon doesn't care for tag team wrestling anymore. And do you think it is not being represented in the current uh, showcase of the show as it should be? Of course. And it's been that way for years and years and years. It's not something new. Uh, as you were just saying that, Jay, I was actually just thinking about the current landscape of the WWF. I mean, AEW or TNA or any other promotion out there that does tag team wrestling. I'm just looking at WWE right now. And, I'll give you a perfect example is New Day. New Day puts butts in the seats. The kids buy that merchandise. They are super popular with that audience, with the younger audience. And I can only imagine how much money the WWE has made in the last five years off of New Day merchandise. So if you have an act that's that hot, and they're still super hot, and they've been hot for a long time. If you have a act that's that hot what they should be doing is they should be building up heel tag teams 
I mean dominant heel tag teams. So when they take on New Day, the kids at home are scared that New Day is going to get beat. They're scared that New Day is, you know, going to get hurt. Uh, I mean, it's the perfect opportunity. If, if you would have had New Day in the 80s, man, can you imagine how different the booking would be? You'd have these big monster tag teams just trying to destroy New Day, but some way, somehow, the New Day, you know, always would come back and, and, and fight them off. I mean, New Day would have been a perfect, perfect, perfect tag team for the 1980s, especially with merchandise back then. Uh, they could have done so many different things and so many different ideas with merchandise in the 80s with New Day. But that's a perfect example. They have a team like that who I, I know they're 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 branching off now. I know Big E's the Intercontinental Champion and and whatnot. But I mean, I'm just saying in general, that was the perfect example of WWE really not caring about tag teams because you have a tag team that's super 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 popular. And they should be doing anything they could just to build up guys around them to uh, to get you know to do feuds with them and stuff. And you know, I mean, you look at uh, other other teams as well. You know, the rival was there, and, and uh, the revival was there, and they were an unbelievable uh, tag team and probably one of the best in a long time. And you know, they let those guys go, so they didn't really care. So yeah, I mean, WWE, in my opinion, they can care less about the tag team division. But that that's just my take on it. I think that's a, a commonly shared uh, opinion on take team wrestling right now. You brought up the new day and I will admit when I first saw them debut, I thought the gimmick was horrible. I didn't think it stood a chance, but they have been one of the most successful tag teams, especially in the recent landscape of wrestling. And I think all the credit, has to go to the guys that make up that team. I don't think the WWF, WWE creative team saw the success coming down the road for the New Day. I think it's 100% the characters of the guys that were in there that worked hard to get over. And once they got themselves over, WWE had no choice but to kind of ride that wave. And like you said, through merchandise, through viewership, the New Day has done some amazing things for the company. Going back to the guys that make that thing up, I think one of the key things that make a tag team successful are the wrestlers that make up that team. So, Tommy, I want to talk to you a little bit about what you think makes up a good tag team. Now, we're going to name some specific teams in just a moment or two, but when you're putting together a team in your mind, what kind of chemistry, what kind of characters, what kind of strengths do you look to have in a tag team? Good question. And real quickly, before I get to that, I just want to make one more point about uh, New Day. WWE obviously knows what they have in New Day, though. I don't want to say they don't care because they do, because if they didn't, uh, there, there was a perfect opportunity when Kofi was the champion. Uh, they could have turned Big E on him. And that would have been a hot, hot, hot angle. You having Biggie turn on Kofi, and they could have did Kofi and Biggie. Um, I think that was a missed opportunity. Or they can always do it in the future, but it, I, they obviously know what they have. They didn't break them up when they had the perfect opportunity to, because that storyline would have made sense, and I think that storyline would have would have 
definitely had interest in people. So they, they definitely they know what they have there. I just don't think they care enough about the rest of the tag team division to do anything. But New Day, they they keep together because they know that it's it's they're 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 probably the one exception. But getting to what you're saying about what makes a tag team great, I I just look back to the '80s, Jay, where you know wrestlers had matching outfits. Um, that was a big thing to make them a tag team is, you know, they they wore the same things or the same makeup or the same, you know, robes or the same jackets. They just, they looked like a tag team, whether it had been the Heart Foundation with the pink and black, or if it was Demolition with the face paint and the spikes, or same thing with the the Road Warriors or the Rock and Roll Express or the Rockers. They all, they all looked alike. They gelled together. And tag teams today, uh, there's very, 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 very few that look like a team. They just throw guys together nowadays. And I'll give you an example, you know, Dolph Ziggler and, and Robert Roode. Or, uh, you know, just they, they always just throw two guys together to wear two different, you know, outfits. Uh, tag team wrestling, when I think of tag team wrestling uh, from its heyday, they always matched. They always had the same outfits on. And, you know, they always did double team moves and, it just it was just a totally different world back then. I 100% agree with you. The package was a team package. You knew the two guys coming through the curtain weren't just randomly thrown together on some booker's list. They were a team, and they were presented as a team. Matching outfits, same theme song. Every match was a tag team match. They battled other tag teams. Like you said, their finishing moves were oftentimes using both wrestlers in some kind of combination team move rather than just a single person's finisher. So the presentation was there. When I think back to 80s wrestling tag teams, there's a couple different ways that I view them pairing guys together. A lot of teams, the makeup might be one powerhouse and one technician, kind of like the aforementioned Hart Foundation. Jim the Anvil was the muscle. Bret Hart was the technician. Kind of like me and you, Jay. Kind of like me and you. Well, we're more like like power and glory. You're you're, (laughs) you're the pretty boy, uh, and I'm I'm the guy who's, I don't know, getting beat up. (laughs) So you have combinations. You could have two powerhouses, like in the Road Warriors or Demolition. You know, you could have a combination, either guys who complement each other, as in they're the opposite of the other person, or people that are just two of the same, and they're just both powerhouses getting it done. Did you prefer one or the other makeup, Tommy? I, I didn't. I liked both uh, aspects of it. I, I like just As long as they gelled together, they could have been kick-ass take names like the Road Warriors, or they could have been high flyers like the Rockers. But just the, the fact that they they wrestled the same way, they looked the same way, that, that that's, in my opinion, what made a tie team back in the day. And the last thing I'll say before we jump into breaking down some of our favorite or the most memorable tag teams from the 80s. One of my favorite things about tag team wrestling is kind of the ring psychology, the way the matches were laid out, because it's a different tempo, it's a different feel than a singles match. Because you have, you have four guys in the ring, and so there's different ways you can play on it. 
my favorite part about 80s wrestling growing up is how the heel team would always try to cheat to win. They would always distract the referee. Uh, they would always, the other guy would come in without a tag being made and the referee would never notice it. But as soon as the, the face team, as soon as the good guys tried to do that, the ref would cut them off and send the one guy back out the ropes. And as a fan, it used to drive me crazy that the bad guys always seemed to get away with stuff that the good guys couldn't. And they would beat down the one baby face. And then, man, everybody loves a hot tag. That hot tag would come in and then we'd see the comeback. Like, I just think the way tag team wrestling can be done is just a special type of attraction, Tommy. Absolutely, man. And I guess, I guess what's, what's weird to me is you're talking about WWE, how they, you know, got away from tag team wrestling. But if you look back at, you know, that time frame, the 80s, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I think the NWA definitely, you know, they – focused more on tag team wrestling than the WWF did in the 80s, 100%. And we'll talk about that. And so did other promotions. But obviously, WWF thought there was some value or some attraction in tag team wrestling back then. Because look at the main event of WrestleMania 1. The main event of WrestleMania 1 was a tag team match. It was Hulk Hogan and Mr. T against Paul Orndorff and Roddy Piper. Uh, okay, there weren't tag teams per se, like regular units, but they thought enough of the concept of a tag team match to make it the main event of WrestleMania 1. Also, the first two SummerSlams, the main events of the first two SummerSlams were tag team matches. So if you look back at the history of tag team wrestling in the 80s in the WWF, especially during that golden period from 85 to 89, if we're talking 80s wrestling, there was definitely, you know, a push for tag team wrestling back then. So obviously throughout the years, they strayed away from it. You're absolutely right. That's an excellent point about the first WrestleMania being a tag team main event and the SummerSlams. It really just kind of shows you how the business is kind of progressing and how it's changing and how maybe tag team wrestling, while that's still a part of the show, it's not as highlighted like it used to be. So let's talk about when it was highlighted. Let's talk about the 1980s when tag team wrestling was something special. We've kind of broken down what we think makes a great tag team. Now let's talk about who were the great tag teams. There's a list of them and it's a long list. Tom, I'm going to have you start us off. You don't have to give me your favorite. Just give me one team that's on your list of best tag teams from the 80s or most memorable and let's talk about it for a minute. Well, I have a list. I have a list here, Jay. There's no no joke. There's probably about, I'd say about 35, 40 names on this list. Obviously, we're not going to have enough time to get into all these names. We'll, we'll, you know, when we do an honorable mentions, I'm sure we'll name a bunch of tag teams. Uh, what I, I said to you actually off the air before, right before we started, was it's 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 funny because me and you are both WWF guys from from the 80s. You know, we were WWF kids, and we grew up on WWF. But some of the most popular and most successful tag teams did not come from the WWF. Obviously, the first name that we're all thinking of is Hawk and Animal, the Road Warriors. You know, they, uh, you know, they eventually had their run in the WWF in the early 90s, but not during that 80s period when, you know, tag team wrestling was the hottest. 
so the Road Warriors, they did not come from the WWF. The Rock and Roll Express, one of the most red-hot tag teams of all time. They have to be in the top five. Uh, I'm not going to be biased because I'm a WWF guy, but you know those guys and the, the Road Warriors, not, the, not as the Legion of Doom, as the Road Warriors, they're both in the top five tag teams of all time. Another tag team that was only in the WWF for literally a cup of coffee was the Fabulous Freebirds. They're in the top five tag teams of all time. They have to be most successful. And another team that comes to mind that's right out in the top of the most successful tag teams and drew the most money was the Von Erichs in world class. So that's four teams right there that made a huge impact in wrestling. Obviously, Curry Von Erich came over as the Texas Tornado. Rock and Roll Express came in the, 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 mid, uh, the mid to late 90s for a brief run. But uh, that's four red-hot tag teams in the 80s that made their name not in the WWF. Those teams that you just mentioned were probably the top draw in the territories that they were working as tag teams. And you're right, all of them, incredible tag teams. And as WWF kids, we missed out on a lot of amazing tag team matchups, feuds because these teams were not in the federation like you said they were highly successful and as a wwf kid you would still hear about these teams like you would catch glimpses of them on magazine stands every once in a while you would catch a wrestling program on tv that wasn't wwf and you would stop and you would and you would watch and you would see what's going on and now as we know more about the wrestling industry, yeah, these guys are icons in the industry and they change the game for tag team wrestling and they do tons of money. It's fun to sit back now and think, what would the World Wrestling Federation tag team division look like if some of these teams had come in during the prime of their careers? Absolutely. That would have been amazing. I was just thinking about... uh, when you were just talking, the Freebirds, they, they were in the WWF briefly, literally for probably, I think it was like two months in 1984. They debuted in August 84, and they had, for their first match ever, Jay, Cindy Lauper and David Wolf with them as baby faces. Now, you remember this, this era, this time frame is leading into the first ever WrestleMania. They got fired after like two months. Can you imagine what their careers would have been like if they behaved and they didn't get fired? They would have definitely been a big part of the first WrestleMania because they had David Wolf and Cindy Lauper by them in August of 84. So there would have been definitely plans in place for them to be a big part of the, the first WrestleMania. Who knows? They might have took the spot of, uh, if there were baby faces, they might have took the spots of Rotundo and Wyndham, and maybe it would have been the Freebirds as baby faces against Iron Sheik and Nikolai Mokov in the first WrestleMania. But there's no question that if if things would have went the right way, they definitely would have been a, a major part of the first WrestleMania because it was that whole rock and wrestling connection at the time. As you say that, I'm sitting here thinking they were. I mean, they had their their own theme music, Bad Street. Like they were rock and roll. The Freebirds yeah. were. And so if they could have had that connection on the grandest stage of them all, that would have furthered their career on, you know, national, on a national scale. And it probably would have uh, helped WrestleMania be even that much more successful. 
I'm not taking any away. I'm not taking anything away from the fabulous Freebirds because obviously they're huge names in the wrestling business. But imagine if they would have had a WWF run. They never had a WWF run. If they would have had a WWF run in the '80s, they would have been a lot bigger than they are right now. No question in my mind. I think it's a shame that maybe more fans aren't aware of their work they did with the Von Erich family down in Texas because that feud and the and the runs they had together and the heat that the fabulous Freebirds had in that territory. Like if you go back and watch some of the videos, it's amazing. And so you think if they could have recreated some of that type of magic uh, on a national level where more people were getting to see it, yeah, they would have been huge. Oh yeah, and and can you imagine how big the Von Erichs would have been if they would have came to the WWE? I mean, like I said, Curry did. But can you imagine during the height of their popularity if if they would have came over as an act together to the WWF? Man, they would have been super, super, super over. And same thing with the Rock and Roll Express. I mean, they were so super popular. Can you imagine if they would have came over to the WWF in uh, in the 80s? And can you imagine some of the classic matches they would have had with some? Imagine, imagine the Rock and Roll Express against the Heart Foundation, where Heart Foundation is the Hills. Man, I mean, the, the, the possibilities are, are, are like the Von Erichs against, you know, the Heart Foundation is Hales or, you know, British Bulldogs against the Freebirds. I mean, there's so many, you know, fantasy matches that we never had an opportunity to see. But if those, the, we're talking about tag teams, those four tag teams, we mentioned the Road Warriors, the uh, Rock and Roll Express, the Von Erichs and the Freebirds, they would all had a run in the WWF in the, in the 80s, man, that, that tag team division would have been absolutely unreal. It would have been unmatched for sure. And I love that all those, those four teams that you mentioned, they went about tag team wrestling in a different style. You know, the road we, we got to throw the Midnight Express in there too. Obviously, they might not have been as, as big as the other four, but, I mean, they were doing fantastic work as well. Uh, that could have been another team that could have came to the WWF in the 80s, the, the Midnight Express. Beautiful heel team with, with Cornette as their manager. Beautiful heel team. I would have loved to have seen them wrestling some of the top babyface teams in the World Wrestling Federation for sure. So who was your favorite, Jen? I don't want to put you on the spot. And, and, it's, and it's, hard, it's hard to pick just one team. So let's say I'm going to put you on the spot and say three teams. Growing up as a kid in the 80s, who was your three favorite tag teams to watch? Growing up in the 80s, my bread and butter was the World Wrestling Federation. So those are the teams that I have near and dear to my heart. And so my top three from the Federation in my childhood, pretty easy to name. I think uh, the top of the board would be Demolition, Axe, and Smash, uh, followed up right behind by the Rockers, Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels. And I will go on the record as saying I was more of a Marty Jannetty guy than I was Shawn Michaels. And I, wow. if I was a betting man back in the day, I would have bet the house that Jannetty would go on to have the career and Michaels would fade away. But I was uh, way beyond mistaken uh, when it comes to that. Um, so I'm going demolition. I am going the Rockers. And then I will go the Hart Foundation as my top three favorite teams growing up from the World Wrestling Federation. 
Tommy, we can break down each of those teams, but I want to go to you with the exact same question, see if we matched any of them or if you've got some different thoughts. Who are your three go-to take teams from the 80s? Well, first, let me crack this open. Now, I'm not pulling a Bruce Pritchard here. It's uh, 9.30 in the morning and while we're taping this in New Jersey. This is actually a monster energy drink I'm, I'm, I just opened because all the things I got going on right now, Jay, all the different – projects I'm working on. I need some energy in me, man. I, need some well, I will energy. say this. I will say this. <laughs> we're, we're in two different time zones. Minnesota uh, is an hour behind you. With that being said, Tommy will text me late at night and early morning. So I don't know if you sleep. And so now that you're drinking Monster, I kind of get a sneak peek behind the curtain here. You're fueled up on the Monster. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I don't drink coffee, so I need, I need, so, I need something in me. Um, the three top tag teams for me in the 80s, uh, I'm with you with that demolition. Uh, I was always a huge fan of demolition. Heart Foundation as well, I'm with you. Um, was always a huge fan of the Heart Foundation. But probably right at the top, Jay, believe it or not, even more so than demolition, for me growing up as a kid, I was a huge, huge fan of the British Bulldogs, Davy Boy Smith and Dynamite Kid. And I remember WrestleMania 2, we would go, my parents, the first few WrestleManias, believe WrestleMania 2, 3, 4, and 5, I saw on closed circuit TV at William Patterson College in Wayne, New Jersey, the town I actually live in right now. And we'd, we'd go there and, you know, back then, the early WrestleManias, they'd have it on closed circuit TV. The, it was a huge screen and be a couple thousand people in there watching it. And I remember as a kid when the British Bulldogs defeated Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake for the tag team titles, I remember crying as a kid. That's how excited I was that the Bulldogs won the tag team titles. And, uh, that, you know, that was one of the feature matches in WrestleMania too, you know, especially with Ozzy Osbourne in the corner of the Bulldogs. He was a gigantic celebrity. At the time, obviously he still is, uh, but I mean that that right there uh, was for me it was everything. Seeing the Bulldogs win the tag team titles, uh, they, they were just so phenomenal. I, I, it's a shame that they're not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, because they were they were probably you know the big tag team for the WWF during that time frame. You know, the Bulldogs are definitely one of the top teams when it comes to tag team wrestling, especially if you're focused in on the World Wrestling Federation uh, in the 80s. Both of those guys, Davey Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid, while they were different size, Dynamite Kid, not as tall, kind of undersized, but both of them just had the muscle packed on them. They both looked phenomenal, and they could go. And Dynamite Kid was so fast in the ring, along with Strong. And then you had Davey Boy, who was, pressing people over their heads, slamming them down. Uh, and then you throw in Matilda, the bulldog on the side. Like, great team. Like, when you picture a team, that's what you picture, you know, them looking like. The Bulldogs had everything. And that match with the Hart Foundation for the titles, fantastic match. I actually just watched it this morning. I woke up early as I was prepping for the show and had some videos going on YouTube and tag team wrestling was just a beautiful thing to watch because you had all those 
aspects, the, the four different guys, how they moved in the ring, how they played off each other, how Davy Boy would actually press slam Dynamite Kid and launch him onto his opponents. Beautiful take team wrestling. And the Bulldogs should be in the Hall of Fame. They should get a little more recognition than they do. I worry that maybe Dynamite Kid's personal demons that he kind of went through may have severed some ties with some higher ups and they might be holding some grudges towards that team, but what a team. And they look great holding the, the titles for sure. Absolutely, man. I, I, I was such a big fan of the Bulldogs growing up as a kid, but uh, yes, I, I mean, that's probably my three. I would have loved to have seen the road warriors in the WWF during that time frame. I, I think a huge opportunity missed was and they eventually did the matches but they, they didn't mean nearly what it could have because I would have loved to have saw the road warriors against demolition at Wrestlemania uh, and, and I'm talking about like in the first five Wrestlemanias uh, seeing the the road warriors in the WWF in the 80s uh, coming in against demolition that was the hills that would have been freaking off the hook I would have loved to have seen that you know, a lot of people talk about was Demolition a, a ripoff of the Road Warriors? Were they just a carbon copy, Vince McMahon's copy of the Road Warriors? And like you said, we got to see those matches eventually. But yeah, in the heat of the 80s, when both teams were running full steam at the top of their game, what would that matchup have looked like? Uh, I remember as a kid, being a WF guy, Demolition was my team. But you knew who the Road Warriors were. You've seen their pictures. You saw some of their matches. And that was a team that, as a kid, you believed 100%. They were going into the ring, and they were beating people up. Like They weren't wrestling people. They were beating people up. They had the intensity. I would, I don't even, I would have lost my mind as a kid if the Road Warriors would have came in when Demolition had, had the titles and, and were, you know, at the top of their game and they were my team because you legitimately would think the road warriors were coming in to beat them up and to take their titles. Dominant tag team, the road warriors, Legion of Doom, one of my top favorite of all time. They might be my favorite tag team of all time, just because of the, the production of it all, the show of it all, how they came across. Um, not a fan of how some of their runs in the world wrestling federation went um, but that's a topic for another day. But in the 80s, they were a dominant team. And I would have loved to have seen them go head-to-head, mid-80s, WrestleMania, main event for the tag titles against Demolition. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, one team we haven't mentioned yet, Jay, and probably because we're not thinking that, you know, we're thinking 80s tag teams. We're talking about, you know, guys that were together all the time. But a huge tag team that we're not thinking of in the 80s, it was short-lived, but they were a tag team for a short while, nonetheless, was Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, the Mega Powers. We touched on them a little bit during last week's episode of, of Hulk Hogan's Feuds, and I will tell you this. That is one tag team that goes outside of what we can – like, it wasn't – it was two guys paired together. It wasn't a team package, but in the 80s, when the Mega Powers was formed as a kid, like you didn't care that they weren't a package tag team like Demolition or the Heart Foundation. 
all you knew is two of the biggest wrestlers, two of the biggest characters in the sport are teaming up and they're working together. And at the time, we didn't realize it was part of a larger storyline, bring them together just so you can tear them apart. We didn't get that at the moment. We just knew that this was two of the best wrestlers joining forces and you thought the tag team vision was turned on its head. You didn't think anybody stood a chance against the mega powers. Tommy, what was your thoughts when you saw that handshake go down? Oh man, same as every other kid at the time. You, you went bonkers, you went nuts. I mean, that was, like you said, they weren't a uh, tag team per se as far as like wearing the same outfits and all that stuff, but that was okay because it was a top two baby faces at the time joining forces and they did it for more than one match. They did it for about a year and it was just so cool to watch as a kid, you know, your two favorite wrestlers teaming up. And I mean, we talked about this on last week's episode and if you haven't listened to it yet, it's available uh, to listen to just, you know, the, the storyline behind it, behind those two, you know, slowly breaking up was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, Tag team that they, they took on, was another team that was put together, but they made for a very entertaining team, was the Twin Towers, Akeem and the Big Boss Man. Like you said, two guys that weren't maybe packaged as a team initially, but they fit well together. Like they had the similar build, same about height, both big, heavy set guys, and they were entertaining. And they made for a great heel team. Uh, especially when they went up against the Mega Powers on that main event episode. And one of my favorite things about that match, um, and I think it was that match, or it might have been a different one where they're wrestling the Mega Powers, uh, but there's a spot in one of the matches where a team gets flung into the ropes and the ropes kind of separate more than <laughs> they should. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. He goes, he goes flying to the outside. And you got to think, he's well over 300 pounds just goes crashing uncontrollably to the concrete floor. Uh, I remember when it happened, and then as I watched the match back, uh, anytime I'm on YouTube and I happen to see that one, what a bump he took. But no, two big, hardworking guys that could sell, teamed together, very entertaining. Um, And so there's definitely a way that you can bring two guys together that doesn't feel like you're just out of ideas and putting them together for the sake of putting them together. You can put guys together to form a team that feels right, that looks good, that functions well as a team. Another example of that is Rhythm and Blues, Honky Tonk Man and Greg Valentine. Rhythm and Snooze? (laughs) Rhythm and Blues. As a kid, uh, I I enjoyed it. I heard an interview later on in life from Jimmy Hart who said they would call him Rhythm and Snooze because Greg the Hammer Valentine was just kind of not as charismatic as the honky tonk man was, but they made him dye his hair. They gave him a guitar. They gave him a jacket. Um, they made him a team. Uh, and do you know who drove them to the ring in that pink Cadillac? It's me. It's me. It's DDP. That's right. Uh, no rhythm and blues. Awesome combination of guys making it work. Uh, Valentine was part of other great tag teams throughout his career, but Rhythm and Blues was nice. It was a nice gimmick tag team. Uh, I enjoyed it. I remember their match. Was it WrestleMania where they, where they went up against the Bushwhackers? Um, 
and Luke and Butch pretended to be selling merchandise at ringside before jumping them. Fun stuff. Like I, I enjoy entertaining things like that. What do you think about rhythm and blues? I think it was, you know, fun for what it was. You know what I mean? I, you know, they had to do something else with Honky, and Honky was just so damn good. He's one of the greatest heels ever. I don't think he gets enough credit for just how great he was as as a performer. Uh, it was okay for what it was, you know. I mean, it was it was it, it was fun. It was for kids. It was entertaining, you know. I'm I'm looking at that WrestleMania five card right now, Jay. Yeah. You know there was five tag team matches on WrestleMania five. It was the Twin Towers against the Rockers. It was the Bushwhackers against the Rougeau brothers. It was Demolition versus Powers of Pain and Mr. Fuji. The Brainbusters against Strike Force and the Heart Foundation against Rhythm and Blues. Five tag team matches at WrestleMania 5. And WrestleMania 3 had four tag team matches. The Can-Am Connection against Bob Orton and Don Morocco. The Dream Team against the Rougeau brothers. Uh, uh, Nikolai Mokov and Iron Sheik against Killer Bees. And actually, this one's a six-man tag. It was the Heart Foundation and Danny Davis against the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana. And WrestleMania 4 actually was the Bulldogs and Coco Beware against uh, the Islanders and Tito Santana. So Bulldogs got shafted two years in a row. They got stuck in tag team matches. Uh, Six-man matches, I meant. Five tag team matches on the card for WrestleMania 5? That's incredible. And they're and they were all good matches. Like, there's not a match that you mentioned that I was like, oh, that's not something I would want to watch. They were all big-name tag teams battling it out at Mania. That's incredible. Whoa, yay. Was that your, was that your Paul Bear impression? Paul Bear? That was my Bushwhacker impression. What's your, it sounded like Percy Prince. It sounded like... Oh, yes. Let's talk about the Bushwhackers, man. I mean, I remember as a kid going crazy for these guys. And I actually just listened to uh, the episode about the Bushwhackers on Bruce Pritchard's podcast. I, I love listening to his show every week. And they did a really good job breaking down the Bushwhackers WWF run. And obviously there were the sheep herders before then. And it's such a different gimmick than they were when they came to the WWF. But man, they don't get enough credit for how big of a team they were. Yes, they were goofy, they were for kids, but it all came down to making money and selling merchandise and putting asses in the seats back then. And there's no question that those guys did that. You are absolutely right. They were goofy, but that was their job in the WWF. That was their niche, to come out, to get the kids excited, to do the arms over the head, walk down the aisle. I loved them as a tag team. I remember the day we went to the store and bought their Hasbro figures, me and my older brother, so we could bring them home and add them to our collection. Like I, I loved the Bushwhackers for the gimmick they were. And I still remember the day that I was gifted a book about pro wrestling. And there were a chapter and photos of the sheep herders in it. 
and my mind was officially blown because the fun-loving, silly gimmick of the Bushwhackers were some of the hardest core wrestlers on the planet before they took over the Bushwhacker gimmick. The Sheep Herders, like, there was colored photos. It was bloody. I couldn't believe it, that these guys were the same team. But, yeah, what a career they had. They've kinda, they kind of did it all. They were the rough and tough, hardcore wrestlers in some extreme matches. Then they came to the World Wrestling Federation, and they got to embrace the fun goofiness of some of the over the top characters at the time and do some really like they would eat sardines. They would lick each other's faces. Like they just did some over the top goofy stuff. Never a team that I thought was going to be in uh, contention for the world titles, but they didn't need to be in my book. Like they had their spot on the card. I enjoyed what they did. I still remember the Royal Rumbles where I think Luke came in and got eliminated within three seconds and just kept on doing his goofy bushwhacker walk all the way back to the locker room. Just a fun team. And you need that on a pro wrestling card. Like you need to have some seriousness. You need to have some fun, some silliness. You need to have it all that keeps people attention. And I think the bushwhackers kept people's attention. Absolutely. Now, Jay, I'm, I don't know about you, but I have a laundry list of tag team names here. We, we're obviously not going to be able to go in depth on, on every one. Uh, I don't know if you do or not, but I thought it'd be fun maybe if we go back and forth and we say team names and, you know, kind of like the name game. You tell me the first thing you think of or your feelings on the team and we'll go back and forth like that. That way we can try and get as many tag teams as we could. Sounds good. I don't think I have as many on my list as you do. I have about 15. Some of mine have been said, but yeah, let's go. Well, you can always use uh, Google while you're uh, while we're while we're talking and, and pull up some uh, team names. So, like there I said, we, we we call this like you said, we call this in the ring, man. You know, we're calling it in the ring. You're, you're, we're going <laughs> uh, we're going word association. Why don't you uh, throw a team out first, and I'll tell you the first thing that pops into my mind. The machines. I think of. I'm going to say Axe from Demolition, and I think of Andre the Giant when I think of the machines. What do you All think right. about when you think of the machines? I I, I thought it was fun. I, I thought that, and I like when they did like the Hawk machine, and they did you know the JYD machine, the Piper machine. I just thought it was it was fun. It was I mean obviously everyone knew it was on train of that mask, but it, it was it was it was fun. It was short lived, but it was fun for the time being. Very good. Here's my take team for you guys that I know you've met and dealt with on a personal level, the Nasty Boys. Headache. <laughs> <laughs> Is that from personal experience? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was saying. Headache. <laughs> Tommy, I don't know what I was. That was, that was the first. That was the first word I thought of. Actually, you know what, man? They, uh, I got to hang out with those guys the night before my first '80s wrestling con at the bar. They were they were super cool to hang out with. Uh, they were a little bit of a challenge to work with the, the day of the the convention, but uh, they were they were they were pretty cool. All right, very good. <laughs> I'm throwing at you King Kong Bundy and Big John Stud A force to be reckoned with I mean, You talk about two big bodies In the ring that can do some damage And they did some damage And so I will say a force to be reckoned with Now did they ha- They didn't have an official Team name did they They were just part of the Heenan family Yeah, yeah they were just yeah. part of the Heenan family 
All right, here's yours. Another team that I think you've got personal experience with, uh, the Killer Bees. Super underrated. I'm glad you brought them up. I think they were very, very popular in the WWF during that time period. And uh, I don't think they get enough credit for how good they were, how popular they were. Even when they wore the mask together, the kids loved that. I thought they were a very good tag team. And I think that you don't hear enough about them for their you know, contributions to 80s tag team wrestling. What do you think? Agreed. I, I think they're an underrated tag team, like you said. Their contribution to the tag team scene. I love both their LJN figures. We can talk about merchandise on some show. I've, I've had the pleasure of talking to both guys uh, on separate occasions, both really nice guys. I like them as a team. Yeah, definitely. They're, they're definitely one of the tag teams you don't hear enough about. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, it's, it's weird when you think about that because they were so popular back then. And there was a lot of merchandise on them as well, like you said. I actually have a Killer Bees WWF poster hanging up in my office. Uh, the big one. Uh, they had the, you know, they had the LJN figures. They had T-shirts. So yeah, man, they were they were pretty popular back then. And you don't really hear that much about them. Uh, throw one at you now. Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas. Oh my goodness! You talk about an historic team. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but first African American team to capture the tag team titles, right? Correct like historic, like that's, that's huge. And both those wrestlers uh, had fantastic singles career on top of it, but teaming those guys together and what they meant for the business and kind of the, the progress and the ceilings that were broken, like it's a big deal. And both of them had great legacies in the world of professional wrestling. Sure. You, you, do, you talk about 80s tag team wrestling. They were, they were probably 83, 84. So you think of 80s tag team wrestling, you're thinking that golden era from 85 to 89. But uh, you got to think a little bit before then. If you're, if you're talking 80s, and obviously it's 80, 81, 82, 83, 84 as well. And they were one of the big tag team names back then, along with the Wild Samoans. Uh, if you're thinking 80s tag teams, they were early 80s, but they were gigantic as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, the names I'm going to throw at you, Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. Russia, number one. Ireland, number one. USA, Hawk, two. I will say that impression is way better than your bourgeois impression. I don't know why that you thought that was Paul cool Bearer for, man. I don't know. You better clean your ears out. Uh, that, that Iron Sheik was spot on, man. We we could have said we had him calling in on the line, and you could have just said that, and we could have moved on. That was fantastic. Yeah, they were they were they were great together, man. I mean, I mean that that whole that time period, you know, eighty five, eighty six. I mean, they were two of the biggest hills in the company at the time. They were they were awesome. Listen, I like mid card heel tag teams. Like you really didn't think they were ever a threat to the champions, but man, they played their part and they got heat and people booed them and they'd sing the national anthem before the match. Like they just did their job so well. And I appreciate that. Um, just guys who fill their role and do it at a high level, no matter what their spot on the card. Like I appreciate well, they, the work. They were, they were tag team champions at the first WrestleMania. They, they, they were, but uh, talking about that, I also enjoyed, Nikolai Volkov and Boris Zukov together as the Bolshevik. 
that was a tag team that I had the privilege of seeing uh, live here at my local college. And I think I texted you about that. Maybe you said they were ago. the main event, right? And I said they were the main event. So looking back, we were probably the B show or the B town that night. And you texted back going, brother, you had to be the D show. <laughs> yeah, if the if the, Bol- the Bolskovics are main eventing your local high school, I mean, they, they must have either won, there was a major snowstorm and no one else could get to the town. Or two, they just <laughs> that was just a, a D show. So for no, the no, Bolsh- no, no, no disrespect to any of them, but I mean, if they're the main event of uh, uh, the, the show, <laughs> and the worst part is I don't even remember who they were wrestling that night. I just remember the two of them in the ring singing the national anthem. Yeah, we, we were probably the D show that night, but I was still happy to be there. I hope it wasn't against the Young Stallions. That would have been like the the Q show. That would. <laughs> That was the main event. It would have been, yeah. I don't know. I should go back and see if I can find some information about what else was on that card. I, I would, I would be curious, and then what? I would be curious that that's your homework for this week, Jay. For next week's episode, I want to know that complete card. And, and nowadays on the internet, if you look at like the history of WWF, there's a website that has the listing of all the, all the different uh, results of all the different house shows from back in the day. I want to know that complete card that you went to as a kid, if Nikolai Volkov and Boris Zukov in tag team action was the main event of your show in your town, I want to know what else was on that show. Well, I will tell you this. I, I distinctly remember the advertised main event was Andre the Giant versus Ultimate Warrior. And <laughs> they, came out, they came out and made the announcement that Andre the Giant missed his flight. But I ask you this, Tommy, why didn't we see the warrior then? I'm thinking it was a bait and switch. I'm thinking they advertised one main event and they knew they weren't going to deliver Andre versus the warrior in my small town. And so they, they put in uh, the, the undercard guys. That's my gut feeling. This is just funny to me. So you're, you're a little kid and you're super excited. I could picture you run home from school you eat your dinner with your parents. You change to put on your wrestling shirt. You guys get in the car. You guys drive to the arena. They're playing the theme songs as you, you know. You walk it, you know, buy your merchandise and your hot dogs and your pretzels and popcorn. They're playing all the theme songs of all the big stars, Hogan, Warrior, all that. And you're just so excited. You're going to see the Ultimate Warrior. And you know, obviously, he was one of your favorites growing up as a kid. You have your face painted. You have the shirt on. You have the tassels on. You get in your seat. You're waiting for you're waiting for it. Ladies and gentlemen, Ultimate Warrior and Andre the Giant are unable to make it this evening. However, we introduce now the replacements, Bolskovics. That's just funny. That's exactly how it went. I was sitting there. I had my Andre the Giant singlet on, my warrior face paint. They make the announcements. I start crying. My face paint's running down my cheeks. Uh, no, I remember at the time being incredibly disappointed. But then I, looking like back, it had, it had to be a bait and switch, Tommy. You don't advertise Andre and Warrior and then switch them out. I really want to know that. I really want to know that full card for next. I do too. I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna look it up because here's the deal. If Andre missed his flight, the Warrior should have still been there, and he could have fought anybody else on the card. You wouldn't scrap it. He, 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 
He could have fought the Bolsheviks in a handicap match in the main event. He should have. He should have. No, I remember. the Yeah, I remember hearing the Russian national anthem. It was, what a night. What a night. What, is there a chance that there could have been a big star on that show that went on an intermission and you just don't remember as a kid and for some reason they put the Bolsheviks on last or you, you don't recall? The only other wrestler I remember seeing that night was Owen Hart as the Blue Blazer. I remember he he was there. He did a backflip off the top rope. Like, I remember that being, like, the highlight in my mind of the evening. Uh, I, 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 I have to know, and I'm sure everyone listening right now, we have to know what that lineup was. That's your, that's your homework for next week's episode. I'll see if I can find it. <laughs> Let's get back into uh, some more 80s names, tag team names that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, the Steiner Brothers, man. How have we, how have we not mentioned the Steiner Brothers yet? Huge, huge tag team, one of the greatest of all time. Listen, I love the Steiner brothers. And in my mind, when I think of them, I think of WCW and the work they did there. They had a nice little run in the WWF, had a run with the championship. But from a team aspect, like you don't get much better than having brothers form a team. They work so well together. They complement each other. They know each other so well. They looked great. Their outfits were great. Like, they're a solid, solid tag team. And I would even argue, when people think of tag teams of all time, their name probably doesn't get brought up as much as it should. Because they were a solid team that you could always count on to always perform. They did some crazy moves together in the ring. I don't know if I would have wanted to work against them, because I think they were probably pretty stiff. Um, but a fun team to watch. I love the presentation. I love the chemistry. Um, I love it. And one of the things that I love, this is going to be a little bit off topic, but one of the things I love about a good tag team is a good tag team split, a good tag team breakup, oh, yeah. a tag team that leads to a feud. And there's one that I think comes to everybody's mind, which would be awesome to talk about at some point. But I think that's part of what makes a great tag team is they have their run and then if you can split them off in a way where hopefully both guys become successful or one guy's going to have, you know, a rocket strapped to his career and he's going to go do great things, it's fun to see that transition. It's fun to talk about amazing solo wrestlers that started their career as a tag team. I guess that's a perfect point, uh, perfect time to talk about the Rockers. Man, Marty Jannetty. Oh, I had such high hopes for you, buddy. Uh, the Rockers, tremendous team in the 80s, but their split is probably the greatest tag team split of all time. Would you agree, Tommy? Yeah, man, that was that was awesome. I, I mean, I can remember it like it was yesterday in the barbershop when that happened. I actually just posted a, 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 a meme for it yesterday up on the 80s wrestling Instagram page. Uh, but yeah, one of the one of the most iconic angles uh, from that time period is when, you know, he, he put him through the, the barber, the barber shop window, man. I mean, that, what a, what a perfect, perfect, perfect way to split up a tag team. And obviously he went with sensational Sherry. And then, you know, he did a couple things after that over the next 20 years, <laughs> probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest in, in ring worker of all time, but yeah, man, that that angle was awesome, and it was shocking because as a kid, you didn't you didn't see it coming, you know. 
it was so well done. Everybody, if you saw that, you remember that. Like, that's not something that you got to go, oh, yeah, I think I kind of maybe remember something. No, if you saw that and you were a fan at the time, that, that was a moment that stuck in your mind because you didn't expect it. And it was a violent breakup. And Shawn Michaels played such a great heel, especially at that time. Like, he just owned that side of him that you just loved to hate. And when he partnered with Scary Sherry, yeah, like, it just, in your mind, it was like, oh, my goodness, he completely abandoned Janetti. He's turning to the dark side. What's going to happen? And they had some back-and-forth matches. They traded the IC title uh, once or twice. But, yeah, Marty Janetti kind of fell off the face of the wrestling world, and then Shawn Michaels just straight to the top. Another great singles wrestler that started his tag team is the hitman, is Bret Hart. Now, their breakup wasn't as theatrical or uh, showy as the Rockers. In my mind, their tag team just kind of came to an end. I don't remember them having a big breakup at all. It was just time no, they didn't. What's that? They didn't. Yeah, it was just kind of Bret Hart's time to do his thing, right? Yeah, but I would have loved, I would have loved to have seen something like that happen. Um, having a, a big, you know, when they were turning Brett babyface, that would have been great if they would have had Nightheart turn on him and they could have, they could have had a run. I think that's another missed opportunity. Uh, they just, like, like you said, they just went their own separate ways. But yeah, man, the Hart Foundation was just awesome. And uh, when Brett first turned, you know, went singles by himself and became the Intercontinental Champion, I, I mean, right then and there, his popularity just skyrocketed. You knew he was going to be a, such a big star. But, yeah, I think that was a, a missed opportunity there, talking about, you know, a good turn. Uh, while, while it wasn't the greatest turn ever, uh, another interesting one uh, was girls in cars. I love girls in cars. <laughs> I know my singing's not the greatest, but it's better than that Paul, <laughs> that uh, Bushwhacker Luke impression, right? Maybe I should have you sing that uh, in your Paul Bear uh, voice. Girls <laughs> <laughs> in cars. Oh, yes, I love girls in cars. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I think we found the new theme song uh, for this show. That was awesome, man. Thank you for that treat. You're obviously talking about Strike Force, Tito Santana, and Rick Martel breaking up. Oh, yeah. Who is your, who is your, uh, if you had to pick one of those guys, who would you go with? I was always a Tito guy, man. Growing up as a kid, he was uh, one of my favorites growing up. And obviously, I, I've worked with him a ton over the last couple of years doing my 80s wrestling signings. He lives a half hour from me here in New Jersey. He's such a, such a great guy. And I did a couple interviews over the last couple months, and people have asked me who my, favorite guy ever to work with was, and I always mention him. He's so laid back, Jay, so down to earth, so easy to work with. Super cool guy. Very, very friendly guy. He, I was always a Tito guy as a kid, though, growing up. Tito is hes a great talent. I haven't had the chance to meet him or talk to him, but that's great that you have kind things to say to him. I don't, he think, he gets enough, I don't think he could – excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you off. I don't think he gets enough credit for being such a big star like he was back in the – in the eighties, you know, he was, he was part of that heyday, part of Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling. He was a big time baby face. I don't think he gets enough credit 
for being a, a big, as big a star as he was in the 80s. Because I'll tell you what, man, anytime I ever use him, uh, he always does awesome. Uh, people, people flock to him still to this day. Uh, I don't think he gets enough credit for how big of a star he was. Do you think that WWF has a tendency, or at least they did, to try to repackage people into different versions or different characters of themselves? With Tito Santana, it was El Matador. They had a tendency to kind of do that, to try to breathe life back into an existing character. Do you think in any way that damages how people remember a guy like Tito? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that El Matador character was short-lived. Um, you know, and the height of his, you know, run was obviously when he was the Intercontinental Champion and his feuds with Valentine and Randy Savage. You know, then he was put in a tag team with Strike Force. Um, if you, I'm looking at those first couple WrestleMania cards. You know, he was stuck in a tag match in WrestleMania two, teaming up with JYD against the Funks, another tag team we we haven't mentioned. And in WrestleMania three, he was in a six man with the Bulldogs against the Hearts and Danny Davis. So I, I think part of it maybe has to do with, you know, like you said, maybe the character and then the way he was booked after his, his big run as Intercontinental Champion. Uh, I think they could have done a lot more with him, but I, I don't think he gets enough credit for being as big as he was. I don't think you're going to find someone to disagree with you. He was, he was a big part of pro wrestling, especially in that time era. And he accomplished great things like multiple championships. Like he had a heck of a career. And so he's, his name probably should get brought up more. The, the problem is as time goes on, there's less and less people who get together and talk about this era of wrestling. And I'm happy that you and I get to do it. And we have people that will listen and, and chime in because we need to keep wrestlers like Tito Santana's name at the forefront for what they contributed to the business he contributed to both singles and tag team wrestling, which we're talking about today. So he's definitely uh, high up on the list of guys you need to talk about when you talk about the golden era of wrestling. Now we're starting to go a little bit long in today's show. So we got to start heading home, start winding it down before we, we sign off. Uh, we listed some tag teams. We didn't even scratch the surface of amazing tag teams throughout the eighties uh, of professional wrestling in the World Wrestling Federation, we could talk NWA, WCW, AWA. There's so many teams out there that there's no way we could have gotten to them all. Before we head home, I want to ask you, did you have a favorite tag team finishing move from the 80s? Hmm. Uh, might have been Demolitions, man. I, I loved Demolitions finisher. I thought that was really cool. Um yeah, I mean, or 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 the the Road Warriors, their finisher was, even though I was a WWF guy, man, their finisher was just phenomenal. It might have been that as well. Real real quick, Jay, I don't want to end the episode without at least mentioning uh, some of these names I've written down. I, we don't need to get into them. I just, I just like I said, I wrote a list of '80s tag teams, uh, guys that we didn't mention yet that you know maybe we could talk about in the future. Uh, the skyscrapers. The Islanders, who who can forget when they stole Matilda from the British Bulldogs, the Destruction Crew, who later became the the uh, the Beverly Brothers, uh, Nasty Boys, we touched upon, um, Buddy Rose, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers, the Powers of Pain, we didn't get a chance to to, to dive into them yet. They're actually going to be one of our virtual guests uh, next month on February twenty second. 
You can head over to 80swrestlingcon.com for ordering info on that, as well as the Orient Express, who was bad company in the 80s. They'll be part of Virtual Mania. Same thing, 80swrestlingcon.com for ordering information on that. Um, the, uh, the Rougeau brothers, Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo, uh, the Russians from the NWA, Ivan Koloff, Nikita Koloff, Krusha Khrushchev, Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody in Japan, huge, huge, huge names over there. Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel, the high flyers in the AWA. Shame on you, Jay. You're a Minnesota boy. You should have mentioned the high flyers. The Fantastics, uh, they were uh, big, big uh, stars in the 80s for tag team wrestling. Uh, the di- Dynamic Dudes. Who can forget those? Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace in WCW, the Varsity Club. We really didn't get a chance to get into. Oh, man, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson. How did we not touch upon, before we end this episode, how did we not touch upon Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson? We need to, this this episode wouldn't be complete if we didn't spend a couple minutes talking about them. You want to talk about their WWF run, or you just want to talk about their uh, run in general and what they just in general. I mean, uh, you know, they, they, they had a good run in WWF as well as the brain busters. You know, they, 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 I think they had a fantastic run. They're obviously in the top 10 tag teams of all time. We didn't get a chance to dive into them guys yet. I think their I think their run in the WWF was, was too short lived. I think they could have hung around longer uh, and done great things. Now they captured tag titles in the NWA and the WWF. Uh, two of the greatest technical wrestlers, both part of the famed Four Horsemen. Like, these guys were wrestlers at their core. And so to team up, fantastic team. They worked well with each other. They had great feuds. Yeah, I I wish their WWF run would have been a little longer for me as a kid because I was excited when they came in because they just kind of, they're that classic tag team, nothing showy, but they come in and they do their work and they're good at it. Absolutely, I think, man. I think a lot of tag teams could learn from watching tapes of those two. Yeah, I, I was excited when they came to WWF because, you know, as a kid, you said, you know, I, we'd, I'd obviously watch NWA as well, but not religiously like I did WWF. But, you know, you, you, you read all the magazines and you see them in there. So when they came there, you know, it was exciting to see some fresh new matches uh, with, with those guys. Midnight Express, we didn't really get a opportunity to dive into those guys yet obviously they got to be uh in the top 10 tag teams of all time as well uh doom butch reed and ron simmons another team we didn't get a chance to dive into and talk about teaming up two baby faces that were super over and super popular we talked about hulk hogan and the macho men but in the nwa when they formed Nikita Koloff and Dusty Rhodes as the superpowers, that was equivalent to the mega powers in the WWF. Anytime you take the two top baby faces from a company and team them up, like people got excited about it. It, it meant something. It, it generated a buzz. And that's like you said, that's their equivalent of the mega powers. And it got a very similar reaction. People were excited. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Fun to watch tag team wrestling. The Samoan SWAT team. We didn't really get a chance to dive into those guys. I would have loved. We, we got to see them obviously, uh, you know, five or six years later as the head shrinkers in the WWF. But I would have loved to have seen the Samoan SWAT team in 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 that time frame, that eighty eight eighty nine time frame 
in the WWF because they did some fantastic work in the NWA. I would have loved to have seen those guys as, you know, mean, savage heels uh, in the WWF during that time frame. Uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in the early 80s with, with, with Youngblood. That was another another uh, good team. And one team that we, we didn't mention, and it, it was very short-lived, but it's worth mentioning because they became two of the biggest names in the history of our industry was the Blade Runners, who was Sting and the Ultimate Warrior. Both of them went on, obviously, to have iconic careers in different places. Um, but yeah, to start as a team, to kind of hone your skill that way and then to separate, that might be, it'd be interesting to look, that might be one of the most successful, both people in a tag team after, after they stopped teaming. Both of them went on to have iconic careers, might be the most successful solo careers for both parties after a tag team split. I, 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 would, I would think so. Yeah, I would definitely think so. So obviously I, I did my homework on 80s tag team wrestling, as, as you can just tell. I guess I did not do my homework, though, on uh, perfection, uh, you know, getting to perfection, the, the Bushwhacker Luke um, voice, because I don't know how you thought that was Paul Bearer. I'll do it one more time. So if you hear me listen. one more time. Yeah, I don't understand how you thought this was Paul Bearer. Whoa, yay. How's that Paul Bearer, man? I, I think it's the shakiness. I don't remember the Bushwhackers having what? that shakiness in their Just voice. Listen, I'll, I'll I'll, listen one more time. Whoa, yay. No? Right, maybe it's just me. What I want yeah. to know, what everyone out there listening wants to know, and it has to be brought up on next week's episode, I want to know who the Bolsheviks wrestled in that match that was the main event of your local high school show. And I want to know who else was on that show that they were in the main event. I will, I will do some research. I will uh, see if I can come up with that. But I will tell you this. I, that's probably the best Bushwhacker impression I've heard today. And so I don't want to take too much away from you on that. Your, your Iron Sheik was spot on. And, first and of all, Jay, I'd like to say hello to all my wrestling fans. The greatest tag team in the world, Bubba, is the Iron Sheik and the Nikolai Volkov. Russia, number one. Iran, number one. USA, that is That is actually legitimately, I got tears in my eyes. That's legitimately a very solid Iron Sheik uh, impression. He might be sitting next to you for all I know. I can't tell. I, I know Luke. Bushwhacker Luke is not sitting next to you, but I, but the Iron Sheik might be right there. Whoa! <laughs> Yay! Obviously, we're having a little fun here today on 80s Wrestling, the podcast. Let us know what you want to listen to next week. I think we're going to throw up another poll uh, probably on Monday on our Twitter page. And our Twitter handle, again, is 80s Wrestling underscore. Maybe we'll do four topics uh, I'll let Jay be in charge of what the topics are again. And, uh, yeah, this week, 80s Wrestling Tag Team Wrestling 1, and we'll come up with some new topics for next week. And until then, uh, this Monday night, be sure to tune in for our live 80s Wrestling Virtual Signing Series with Mike Rotunda, our IRS. You can head over to 80swrestlingcon.com now. You purchase the picture that you want him to sign you tune in live to our Facebook page. Our link for the Facebook page 
is on the 80s Wrestling Con page. You tune in live. He signs the picture for you, holds it up, gives you a shout out, and then we ship it out to you following the uh, the signing. So that'll be this Monday night, January the 25th from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern time. That sounds good. Tommy, it was a joy talking to team wrestling with you this week. I can't wait to meet back here next week and do it all again. Jay, one last thing before you go, okay? All right. Whoa, yay. (laughs) Thank you, Luke. We'll catch you next week.